I'm James Hahn II. And I'm Mark LaCour. And you're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by Red Wing. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Episode 59. I'm feeling pretty good this morning, Mark LaCour, but I understand that you are not. Yeah, I, I'm sick. I uh, came back from a business trip from California with a signed contract but also with an upper respiratory infection and eye infection. So I'm on meds. Hopefully in a couple days, I'll be back to my normal self. You don't have pink eye. Do we only get you some Worcestershire sauce? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so yes, I have pink eye. Um, But instead of Worcestershire sauce, I have some uh, eye drops. Oh, well, apparently you didn't watch South Park back in the day. I'm not not sick, but I I am disgusted. Last night, first time, or not first time, 25 years straight, Red Wings in the playoffs. Of course, we lose the first game. I really hope we don't do a first-round exit. But we have more important things to talk about this morning because we have a lot of stories to get into. Let's kick it off in Canada by way of Iraq. So Iraq's $1 trillion rebuild. War and ISIL create massive opportunities and massive risks for Canadian businesses. Yeah, this is a good article. We touch on a lot of big stuff. Uh, basically, um, Iraq has a trade mission into Canada right now, trying to recruit Canadian businesses to come to business in Iraq. And quite frankly, it's not working. <laughs> None of the Canadian companies want to take the security risk or get involved in the corruption. Um, so Iraq, uh, because of, it's been war-torn, has a lot of infrastructure that needs to be rebuilt. <clears throat> and that's usually an opportunity for companies, big global companies like what's in Canada and the U.S. and Europe, to make some money, make some good profits. But the, the con- business conditions over there are so bad and the security risks are so high and the corruption is so ingrained that they're going to really struggle trying to get some big you know, EPC companies out there to, to help them rebuild their country. Um, so this is a good article going through how um, you know, th- there's opportunity here, but that Canadian companies um, just probably aren't going to take the risk of, of trying to go help them. I mean, what, what is the first mover? Of, I mean, what's going to make someone want to go in and do that? just someone who's crazy enough to do it? Well, so all of these big EPC companies have people um, that work for them to help them measure risk. So once the risk is reduced enough that it's worth the try to make some profit, they'll go in. But Iraq's going to have to reduce that risk, and, and the risk is multifold. I mean, you know the security issues over there are horrible. I mean, I wouldn't want my people over there. The, Iraq can't control its own borders. Um the corruption goes all the way to the top of the government. Yeah, we so talked about that no, before. Yeah, there, there's no there's no guarantee that if you go over there um, and sign a contract that you'll get paid. Um, so, you know, Iraq needs to clean that sort of stuff up. Uh, same way Nigeria was in a couple of years ago. Nigeria's um, managed to clean it up to the point where people are coming to do business. Iraq hasn't done that yet, and they're going to have to um, before these big uh, global companies come in and start rebuilding infrastructure. So it's going to take some leader within the Iraqi government shutting down corruption and cleaning yeah. things up a little bit. And first. be able to control their borders, right? I, you know, there's no way in heck I would let any of my employees go over there. Um, it, you know, it's just it's too dangerous. I wouldn't want to send myself or any of my people that I contract with over there either. Sticking in Iraq, we have some news on the oil tanker front. There's a huge traffic jam going on over there. What is the story? <laughs> this is actually a good article. See, you know how we just talked about there's a bunch of infrastructure that needs to be built? So <clears throat> their tanker um, terminal only has 
of the three bays, it only has one that's working. <laughs> the other two are shut down. So literally, there's only one place that they can um, offload crude onto these large tankers. And so the tankers have piled up waiting in line because, you know, it takes um, – um, it, it should take about three to five days to load a tanker. But over there, it's taken them three weeks. Um, once again, it's a failure in the infrastructure. And so these tankers are stacked up, and it's actually created a traffic jam in their port. So, you know, another another indicator that they need infrastructure, to, um, because even even though they have crude to export, they can barely get it out of the country because the, the infrastructure is just so destroyed over there. What's taking so long? Is it just pipes need to be connected faster? I mean, I don't. Well, when you think of a terminal, you know, there's bays where the tankers slide in and then they bring the pipes over and they start pumping crude. That involves um, valves and pipes and motors and pumps. Well, of the three bays that's in, um, in in the port, two of them are shut down, so they can't even use those two. And the one that's there is taken instead of three or five days, it's taken three weeks to fill up a tanker. And that tells me that there's, you know, there's not enough pump pressure, there's not enough flow, you know, something is is making them offload that crude slower than normal. And this is a prime example of, you know, everybody was worried about when um, when um, Iraq's uh, production came back online, it was. Um, be dumped on the globe and keep prices low. And I kept saying, no, there's no infrastructure so they can actually get it out of the country. That has to be rebuilt. And this is a perfect example of that. Yeah, there are 27 VLCCs and Susmax tankers with a combined capacity of 43 million barrels waiting off Basra. That's, yeah, that's, know, that's a lot. Yeah, if, if those same tankers came to the Gulf of Mexico, they would be able to pull in like in a in – a, Texas deep water port, they'd be able to pull in not to a three bay terminal, a 30 bay terminal, and they would fill them up in two days. See the difference in infrastructure, what we have here, what they're working on over there, man. Well, hope they get that fixed over there. And then I hate to keep going on the war torn front, but we have some news in terms of ISIS and the military being able to take out some of their oil revenue. From the New York Times, ISIS expands reach despite military and financial setbacks. Yeah, it's um. I don't know if you and I talked about this on the show in the past, or you and I just talked about this. But I've been saying this from the very beginning. You can't take out ISIS from a military point of view, especially from a large military point of view. Um, the whole U.S. command and control, uh, which I learned in the Marine Corps, doesn't work there. And it doesn't work in all these individual splinter cells all over the world. What you have to do is remove the... Um, driving forces to make young Muslims become radical and join ISIS, right? So you need to improve their employment, improve their working conditions, improve their education, give them internet access, and they won't want to join ISIS. Right now they join because it's their only option, and they're basically being brainwashed uh, into the fact that the rest of the world is, um, is evil and needs to be destroyed. Um, you give them internet access, give them food, give them jobs, and they'll learn themselves and they won't join. But this is interesting because the U.S. policy, U.S. and Europe policy originally was not to attack uh, um, oil refineries, depots, and all that sort of stuff. And this is a, a, a good approach to go in and destroy the, the terminals and the refineries because it removes funding, removes cash from ISIS. And ISIS needs, like any organization, needs money to run. So um, this is a good approach. We've had some success here. The other thing they talk about, which I think is funny because I remember seeing the video, is we figured out where ISIS stores their money like literally bank vaults, and we went and destroyed it. So we destroyed their cash, which I know just had to tick them off. Um, but, you know, this is going to be a long-term um, global approach to eventually get rid of these just really bad people. 
And in terms of the oil fields, do you have any gauge on how much infrastructure they have left and <laughs> what is going to happen in, in the future in terms of more bombing? Yeah. So um, all the high level um, petroleum um, targets of opportunity have been taken out, right? Um, now it's the point now where they go at night in trucks, literally pickup trucks and, and a hand pump and they pump up hand pump a 55 gallon barrel or two of crude and then try to drive it across the border and sell it they no longer have pipelines running they no longer have tankers running um, the refineries have cut their ability to get since we destroyed a lot of the refineries it's uh, hurt their ability to get fuel for their trucks so but it, that's not going to make them disappear it's, that's just going to slow them down um, and and you know hopefully we we get the right people in the right political places here in europe and they do the right things and just make this go away Definitely. Let's move back stateside. Interesting story from Bloomberg. They talk about some of the storage things that we've been talking about, but there have been some people making some money, the invisible money makers who thrived during the 2015 oil slump. Yeah. So they're talking about traders. And anytime there's volatility in the market, I don't care what the market is, traders make money. That's that's their favorite hunting ground is when the market's volatile. So you look at how volatile the oil crude oil market's been. Of course, there's a lot of traders out there making a lot of money. And this article also talks about there's some big companies out there like BP, whose trading floor has had a record year. Right. So you hear about BP upstream um, suffering, which they are. But BP downstream is doing great, and now BP trading is doing great. So um, this is nothing new. This happens every time there's a, a downturn in the market. The, tr the traders actually come out way ahead. Yeah, and then in the video, they talk about one of these storage facilities that they put offshore, and it's however large. If you lay it side, it's the size of how – I don't even know how many hundred billions of, of oil it shares, but it's really interesting to hear how traders work around the market that way. Yes, that what they did is they rented a super tanker and they filled it full of oil and they let it sit there knowing that at some point the price of oil would rise and then they sold all that oil and made some money. I mean, that's that's smart. Yeah, it's just smart. It's another thing that that you you've said before you didn't see coming. We got to see these things coming next time so that we can get in on that. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get in on that. Um, all right. Moving over to Seeking Alpha. We got Q1 results from Chevron. It says bad news. I put a question mark when I tweeted it. I'm sure that you have a longer term perspective on things, but continue with your love-hate relationship with Seeking Alpha. Yeah, so so Chevron, of course, took a big hit. Chevron is a super major. They have refineries, they have pipelines, but they're predominantly an upstream company of all the super majors. So they're hurting right now, right? They're, they're, um, they've done everything they can to keep from bleeding cash. Um, but the low crude prices is just killing their their business. Now, their downstream business is fine. They actually made money. But their downstream business is very small compared to ExxonMobil's downstream or Shell's downstream or BP's downstream. Um, so, you know, um, the oil prices, low oil prices are hurting Chevron. Um, now, Chevron has the Gorgon project coming online um, probably the middle part of this year. What is that? And, um, that's in the, the huge Australian um, project. Uh, yes, yes. So, um, and we think prices are going to come back up the um, – you know, third quarter of this year. So Chevron will be fine. I mean, this is what you would expect to see happen to them first Q16 because they're so, they're predominantly so much an upstream company. Yeah. And they, it says right here, looking at Chevron's downstream earnings for the fourth quarter, we see positive income of one, basically a billion and, but just not big enough to offset their other things like Exxon and so forth, like you said. 
Yeah, so so their upstream lost um, 1.36 billion, I believe. So, um, you know, and that's to be expected in low crude market. Now, the flip side of it is when the price of crude comes back, <laughs> their upstream side of the house is going to be making billions and billions and billions of dollars of profit like it always does. So it's just, you know, wait for the price of crude to come back. Chevron will be fine. Yeah, and I'll throw it in the extras. I actually have a MSNBC link of the Chevron CEO. He was on Squawk Box or whatever it was this week talking about how Chevron believes the market's going to adjust this year. Not, yeah, I wonder where he got that from. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> not uh, very cautious again. Not back to a hundred or whatever. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe he's a listener. I'd love to hear from you, sir. <laughs> All right. How fracking reduces greenhouse gases from Washington Times? This is something we've talked about before, but it's it's in an article, and why not bring it up again? And look what newspaper it's in. It's in the, the Washington, Washington Times. Times. Yeah. Yeah. Washington Times, folks, if you don't know, tends to have a, a bit of a left-wing uh, slant. Um, this is a totally truthful article talking about the benefits of fracking, talking about how we have all this abundant natural gas, and we're switching from coal to natural gas in our electrical generation plants, and that's dropped um, all types of pollution, including greenhouse gases like CO2. So um, a lot of people don't know this. As much as Europe loves to talk about dropping CO2, their CO2 goes up every year. <laughs> Ours actually went down by 2%. Um, and, and this is just a, a factual article on how fracking benefits the environment, um, events, provides prosperity to the world's people. You know, We're in a hydrocarbon abundant world. Life is good. Fracking is good. Yeah, it makes cleaner, breather, breathable air that makes things better. And yeah, on per unit of GP, GDP basis, U.S. carbon emissions are down by closer to 20% over the last 14 years. That is yeah. staggering. How cool is that? That's staggering. I mean, we never, as he says here, we never ratified the Kyoto. How can any of this happen? It might, it might have something to do with the free market. I don't know. Yeah, exactly what it has to do. And the, and the oil and gas industry. And the oil and gas industry. I have a feeling this is going to be a shorter show, but I think, Mark, you deserve it. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're, doing the, you're doing the Mike Jordan uh, in, in the, uh, in the playoffs here before we go on to our next story, though, we've been talking about, uh, you know, downturns and all kinds of in, you know, instability and things like that. If you're looking for stability in your business, if you're looking to drive down costs and get more out of the ground, we have to give a shout out to our supporting sponsor in tech. And I'll let you kind of talk through the white paper. Cause we do have a free download from them. Yeah. So, if you're an operating or an operating company, even if you work for a service company and you may want to help your operating customers, you need to download this white paper. This is a white paper on how InTech um, can show you how to drive down costs out in the field through process automation. They're experts at it. The white paper is written just for our audience, right? So nobody else gets it. If you have an interest in driving down your production costs, go download this thing. It's very easy to do. James, where do they need to go? It's at InTech www.com forward slash podcast intechww.com forward slash podcast you just mentioned the chevron deal coming online over in australia which has to do with natural gas and i was curious to hear your thoughts on another seeking alpha story saying that natural gas production is about to plummet yeah so i don't agree with this it's it's um and the point of this article he's talking he's trying to he, he's putting a relationship together between the number of rigs uh, in the Eagleford and the gas production he's and he's basically saying 
since the rig count's going down, the gas productions go down. And that's that's not how it works. When you're drilling, when you have a rig, there is no production. It's they're drilling. It's after the rig leaves that they go into production. So there's not a relationship between those two. Now down the road in the future, if the rig count stays low and and they quit um, bringing wells online, will that affect gas production? Yeah, but gas production in in the Eagleford is different than oil production. It doesn't have the huge decline rate. So um, you know, uh, you know my relationship with Seeking Alpha. I either love their articles or don't agree with them. And this is one I just don't agree with. We've talked about this before in terms of the misconception that a lot of people have that rig counts have a lot to do with production. What are some of the other common mistakes that you see people making when it ter- when it comes to analyzing what's going on in the oil field? Um, people don't. So there's so at a at what level you talking about? Like actually at a micro level, like talking about the Eagleford, or a macro level, like talking about globally. Well, it looks. Let's talk about the, because it seems that this this article me- mixes up the micro and the macro, right? Yeah. So it's um when a well, when a, when you have a drill rig there's nothing coming you're not producing anything. And then when you finish you still have to complete that well before you go in production. And one of the things that he doesn't even touch here there's a bunch of wells drilled in Eagleford that have not been completed. So when the price comes back they don't have to go re-drill it they just complete it go in production. So that's uh, that's a part that most people don't understand. They 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 connect drill rigs with production and they're really not connected. And they don't understand the whole completion process, and they don't understand that there's wells out there that have been drilled but aren't completed yet. So, um, you know, and he missed all of this in this article. What are maybe one or two more just really simple, well, duh, that you see kind of consistently out there that it seems like more people should know this by now? Um, So it's um, when you're looking at a field level, the other thing that people don't understand is that um, these leases in places like the Eagleford, in part of the contracts, the production is guaranteed in the contract. So even if the prices go down, the operator still has to produce at a certain level by law. So um, that's another thing that people don't understand. They think if we have a glut that the production will go down, the glut will disappear quicker. Well, here in the U.S., especially in the shell fields, a lot of that production is guaranteed by contract. So they can't ramp down production. Yeah, and we've been following that story. We will continue to follow that story. I haven't seen anything lately, but it will be interesting to see what the pipeline companies and the upstream companies work out in terms of that. Let's move over to an article from HellenicShippingNews.com. I wanted to get your take on this earlier in the week when I first found it, and you gave me the nuance I needed to understand it, but let's talk through it. Worst yet to come for diesel casting refinery profits in doubt. Yeah, so for refineries that produce a lot of diesel, this article spot on. For refineries that produce a blend of fuels, jet fuel, gasoline, kerosene, diesel, um, it's it's not going to hurt them. But they're basically talking about there's an oversupply of diesel coming, and, and they're true. It's true. Um, and there's an increased demand for gasoline, especially in the U.S., because um, no matter how much people scream about low crude prices, they enjoy driving more now on $2 a gallon gas. So um, the, the, the glut for diesel is there, and it's going to continue to be there. 
Um, so then you get to the whole thing like crude where people are starting to store it, waiting to see if they can make money on it. So the difference between diesel and crude is diesel has a much, 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 much shorter shelf life than crude. So you can store crude for years. I'm not quite sure what the shelf life that diesel is, um, but I, I think it's you know just a few months. So um, when you have this glut on the market and you have a, a, a fuel that you can't store for a long period of time, it's going to drive prices down low. That's basically what they're talking about. Where's this glut coming from? Yeah, so this is a global glut. So uh, a, a while back in the past, there was a shortage of diesel. Uh, China's economy is growing. They have all these infrastructure projects. Think about bulldozers and backhoes and all. They all run diesel. So the world ramped up diesel for that market to be able to make some money. Well, China's uh, infrastructure growth has slowed. It hasn't stopped. It just slowed that percentage of growth. And their uh, demand for diesel has slowed. Now, at the same time, diesel is also used in the north parts of the U.S. for, for fuel, for heating fuel. We've had a very mild winter. So you, you mix all that stuff together, you know, people trying to produce diesel to sell into China, and China all of a sudden is not buying as much of it. And then we had a bunch of diesel ready for the winter uh, for the U.S., and, and the winter was mild, so they didn't use it. And you have a glut on the market. It's, it's a commodity. It'll, it, it, the pendulum will swing one way, and then it'll swing back the other way. Yeah, but it, it does say that the flood into storage could blunt diesel profits until as far as 2018. What are your thoughts on that? The, it's, they're probably right about that. Um, and think about um, think about the flip side of that. So um, think about Amazon. How much money does Amazon spill, spend in um, 18 wheelers hauling stuff around the U.S. or around the world? Well, all of a sudden, the fuel price for those those 18 wheelers are going to go down, which is going to increase Amazon's profit margin. So it's bad for the refineries, but for the people that use diesel, low diesel prices will be a benefit for the economy. Yeah, so they're not going to be complaining. All right. One thing, I, I don't want to be too much of a conspiracy theorist. I, I said to a friend of mine the, on the phone the other day, I have a feeling that GE might be complaining about the Baker Hughes. Maybe I use the word lobbying. I'm not sure. But this article falls into my conspiracy theory. GE's oil unit seen finding, quote, missing piece with Baker Hughes. Yeah, it, this is a good article. It's a it's good opinion a piece in Rig Zone. Um, if GE would buy Baker Hughes, it would catapult them to be um, in the top three largest service companies in the, in the world, oilfield service companies. I know GE only gas pretty well. I, I don't see them wanting to do that. I don't, I don't think they want to get in heavy into the service side of the industry. I don't think they want to spend the money. Um, but it would, make, it would make a good fit for their portfolio. And then from a, a U.S. Department of Justice point of view, if GE buys uh, Baker Hughes, you don't have the threat of um, a monopoly like you would have if um, um, Halliburton buys Baker Hughes. So the DOJ would actually probably be much easier to approve this, uh, which would have benefit Baker Hughes' stock, but it would actually hurt Halliburton's stock. Um, so let's see what happens. You know, Halliburton's in court right now, uh, which was to be expected. I mean, uh, let's see if Halliburton can uh, spin off the number of business units of Baker to make the regulators happy and still make the deal make sense. If not, I, you know, we'll see if somebody else picks up uh, Baker Hughes. But they're, they're in this low crude price market, this is a prime time for people to pick up large service companies because they've been devalued so much. What is GE's main value prop? What do they do? that's different than Baker Hughes or, or Halliburton today? So the difference is GE's diversity in business, right? So GE works in oil and gas. They build, um, you know, blowout preventers and trees. They build process controls. But GE also builds stoves, irons, jet engines, marine engines, um, medical devices. 
So GE's business is extremely diverse. So if they would buy Baker Hughes and we had another glut in the market, other parts of GE would be just fine. You know, the medical device would be just fine. The, the, what they do in legal, what they build in lighting, stadium lighting, you know, all that would then benefit Baker Hughes um, because they're working for a company with a much more diverse portfolio. One question I wanted to hear your thoughts on, because we talk a little bit about here and there about the digital oil field. GE's making some moves in that way, aren't they? GE's been in that place for a long time. <laughs> um, but you know what? So is Baker, right? You just don't hear about it. Um, the, the interesting thing, if you understand the two companies' cultures, they're, they have a lot in common. They both have grown by acquisition. Um, they both internally are a bit of a mess. Like the business units don't know each other and don't work well together. There's not a lot of efficiencies there. Um, it's um, There's a lot of um, rigor ar around what they do. So, um, you know, both these companies' business cultures would, would mesh very well. Yeah, that's interesting. I had a friend ask me, what do you think is the next big thing five years from now as far as bleeding edge? Do you think it is the digital oil field or is there something else that that I'm not seeing? Well, the digital oil field is here. It's been here for a while. It's coming. I think the the growth rate is getting ready to go through the roof for a bunch of reasons. Um, what's next big technology five years out? Um, probably high pressure, high temperature, HPHT. Um, five, about five years from now should be the point where um, the prices of crude gets back to a point that deep water and ultra deep water starts being profitable again. And that's the next frontier, right? Is, is high pressure, high temperature. Meaning that we can drill much deeper because engineers <laughs> made things that could drill through lava or whatever. It's, it's crazy. So you're looking at being able to work at say 15 to 20,000 PSI at 400 degrees Fahrenheit. You're talking about having to develop materials that don't exist right now that can hold up to that i mean imagine you're a valve and you're working at twenty thousand psi under ten thousand feet of water at 450 degrees fahrenheit and you have to work for seven to ten years without a failure wow. now imagine a tree with hundreds of those valves and hundreds of seals it's just it's 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 some cool technology and and they're they they're working on it but they're not there yet got it all right <clears throat> interesting story out of sea drill that got a lot of clicks and, and it's just a, an update on, on some deep sea work that they got going on. And I can't pronounce, is it Ajfel, Ajel? I'm not, sea drill, Ajel drilled, uh, drilling secured a one well contract for the deep sea Metro one. Yeah. So the real backstory here is look how low the, the contract rate, the day rate went for this deep water drill ship. I mean, it's crazy, crazy, crazy cheap. And that tells you story, right? So these drilling contractors are hurting right now. They have all these rigs that aren't being used. And so this is a good example around how Sea Drill lowered its day rate ridiculously low just to keep one of its drill rigs working. So that's that, unfortunately, is going to continue to happen in the drilling contract companies uh, for the next, uh, actually, for a very long time. Is it 185000 per day? Is that what that is? Yeah, 180000 185,000 per day, which sounds like a lot of money, but that's no, cheap. No, no, I'm, I'm saying that's shockingly cheap. Yeah. So it's, um, once again, it's going to drive um, um, the drilling contractors to uh, uh, increase efficiencies. You're also going to see some mergers and acquisitions in that world, and you're going to see uh, companies that have newer, uh, higher horsepower fleets pull ahead of the ones that didn't put money into newer fleets in the past, and now they're sitting in a bunch of old equipment. So um, Sea Drill is a great company. You know, shout out to Patrick out there. 
um, but this is a prime example of how those day rates are, are historically low and they're going to stay historically low for a very long time. Yeah, I was about to give a shout out to Patrick because he he explained to me what backlog meant. And it's really funny to me because it's another one of these oil field terms that means the opposite of what it of what it means, meaning that it's future revenue, but it's called back. I, I'm not sure, um, but it was no, that's right. So you have work that you need to do in the future. It's sort of like me, James. You know how when if I get really busy, I put people, I put clients on a waiting list. Mm-hmm. That's backlog work for me. I know I'll make that money in the future, but right now I can't do it. Right. It's just funny to be reading it off the top. I didn't. I didn't get it. He he broke it down. Everybody can laugh. Everybody point and laugh at James right now. All right. Something that was a lot of fun yesterday. I live tweeted. Friend of the show, Alex Epstein, and a handful of other people were at the at the at the Senate, U.S. Senate Committee on Environment and Public Works, examining the role of environmental policies on access to energy and economic opportunity. I don't know if you had a chance to look into any of this at all, Mark, but it was a fascinating discourse. Yeah, so for once, James, no, I didn't have a chance to look at this. I was busy yesterday. So why don't you talk about this? Yeah, so the interesting thing that that really happened here is that you had, you had, I don't want to get too political, but you had one side that were celebrating unemployment of coal workers, of fossil fuel, anything fossil fuel related. The senator from Massachusetts was gleeful in that. And what was really striking to me is that there was a very strong trend. And I summed it up with my final tweet at the end of the live tweeting session. And if you want to go read it, you can just go to Twitter and it's James Hahn II. So James Hahn the second. And Alex Epstein, I got to give him props. He crushed it. He crushed it. I, I am not nervous at all. And one of the one of the good quotes, I'd say the two the two that got the most retweets, which is in the dozens and dozens by now. But when Alex said, "Very few of you would be alive without cheap, reliable, abundant energy," and on a grander scale, there there could be nothing more true. But then the 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 exchange that really made me laugh. And I was like, wow, he just said that. And it shows it, it's a hat tip to Alex and, and his ability to debate and, and be thinking on his feet, even when he's in front of the Senate. But uh, Senator Boxer said, it's interesting. We have a philosopher here to talk about science. And Alex very calmly said, it's to teach you to think more clearly. And there was a raucous um, <laughs> laughter throughout the chamber. And I've got the link in the show notes. We haven't mentioned the show notes on this one. So it's triberocket.com forward slash TW59. And if you want to go rewatch this, it's quite an exchange. And and it was one of the more livelier things that you'll see on C-SPAN anytime soon. Yeah, it's good. I'll have to watch it later. Yeah. So moving on, I I, I didn't tell you about the Weekly Onion, but I, I hoped I might get a chuckle because you are from Louisiana. So nothing nothing doing down Louisiana way. Fly swatting <laughs> sources report, and there ain't nothing fixing to go over by here but the breeze. And just a just 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 a little chuckle. No, because you're sick. You're not going to give it to me. Um, yeah, no, nothing. All right, but we do have a winner. And we are sticking with 
we we we've been going back and forth with Red Wing. We talked, we teased it last week. We might be going with something bigger, but we keep getting emails. People are just loving this offshore bag. I know I am. If anybody's part of the LinkedIn group, I I finally have a a good bag to carry my equipment in on the scooter so I don't have to do the balancing act anymore. <laughs> so it fits all of my podcasting equipment perfectly. So if it can fit that, it can definitely fit all of your, in terms of boots and everything offshore. So we're going to stick with the bag, but let's not just talk about the bag, Mark. Let's talk about Red Wing in general. Yeah. So do we want to talk about who actually won this bag? Yeah. Let's talk about that too. Yeah. So congratulations, Gary Archer, global installation and commissioning manager for one sub C. You won the bag. Um, it, you're going to love it, Gary. Um, and then, Gary, if you're going to be at OTC this uh, year at One Sub C's booth, uh, hit us up. Hit James R.I. up because we'd love to come by and say hi. Um, but Red Wing as a company, you're not going to find another company that devotes so much to quality. And people know their boots, um, but people don't also know that they also have a whole line of uh, protective equipment out there, including, including flame-resistant clothing. So if you need to wear FRs in the field, if you have a group of people that need to wear protective clothing, look at Red Wing. They're a one-stop shop with a big eye on quality, and their stuff is just rockingly good. Yeah, and you can, if you want to find out more about Red Wing and enter for your chance to win, there's no purchase necessary. You just see the official site for rules and details. It's at redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast, redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. I talk about what I'd throw in the extras. I'll get that moving forward, but we do have a couple of events coming up and one from Barclays, which is a webinar, which is great because anybody, anybody listening can attend this. It's happening next Thursday, April 21st at 8.30 a.m. UK, the value of exporting, understanding the opportunities and how to maximize them. Yeah, this is going to be a good webinar. You know, it's funny, James, when I have this in my uh, newsletter, it goes out every month. Whenever it's a webinar where where I have dress, where I tell people how they need to dress the event, I always put whatever you want. You know, it's kind of funny, right? It's right. A webinar. And I actually had somebody reach out to me and go, um, that's not proper. You need to tell me how to dress. And I'm thinking, tell me how to dress for a <laughs> webinar? <laughs> so first time that's happened. Business casual <laughs> yeah. or pajamas, however you want to attend the webinar. It's not going to be uh, interactive in terms of uh, – I don't think it's going to be a FaceTime webinar, but what are they going to be unpacking in, ter- in terms of the content here? So, so Europe is kind of late to this great game. Now we've talked about this a whole bunch about how the export market's huge and it's growing, blah, blah, blah. Europe, Europe is just now waking up to this. So this is a, a, a European centric webinar about the opportunities in export in the UK and, and, and good. Cause there is a ton of opportunity over there. Yeah. And in terms of listenership, we have a lot of listeners in the UK, so we'd love to hear from y'all if you attend this webinar or just enjoy. Go to the show notes and then also go to triberocket.com forward slash events so you can put in your email and get all of these events emailed to you once a month by Mr. Mark LaCour. Secondly, we have one here in Houston, Texas, which is Managing Debt in Troubled Times, Surviving 2016. This is an API function, I believe. The IPAA. IPAA. There you go. I got them mixed up, but go ahead. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is spot on. I mean, managing debt in troubled times. There's a lot of companies out there that are suffering right now, a lot of upstream companies and service companies. And IPAA got some experts together. They're going to have a meeting. They're going to help you understand how to manage your debt in, in these debt low crude price markets. So go. Yeah. And so that, and folks, go ahead. just uh, real quick, 
the May edition of my newsletter, of my events newsletter, will have free, no cost, free, free, free OTC passes. That's the only time you'll get them. So if you have an interest in going to OTC and you don't want to spend the money, go sign up for my list. The May edition will have free OTC passes in it. You're not getting there that any anywhere else. Any, nope. anywhere else anywhere else so tribrocket.com forward slash events we'll see you at otc tweet us email us whatever you got to do we'd love to to see you out there all right countdown to the first friday q a we've got we've got a few of really great questions going here a handful anyway and we're three weeks away mark yeah so folks give us your questions um anything you want to know anything that touches the oil and gas industry reach out let us know if we use your question you'll get a shout out on the air so all your friends will be jealous a great place to put those is not only at tribrocket.com forward slash QA. You can put them in the show notes, you know, that we just talked about, tribrocket.com forward slash TW59, or you can put them in the LinkedIn group. Yeah, folks, if you listen to the show, go join our LinkedIn group. You're going to be first up for all the new podcasts we have coming out. Um, there's a lot of good peer to peer exchange out there. Um, there's a content you won't find anywhere else. It's sort of like the sister to this podcast and all the rest of our podcasts. So go join LinkedIn group. It's a great place for you to drop your questions. And like I said, if you read it on the air, you'll get a big shout out. Yeah. And drop, drop us some more links. We want to, we want to be curating content from y'all as well. So check that out at triberocket.com forward slash LinkedIn. And we got some reviews, Mark, people cool. followed through. We got two five stars and from L.A. Spurs, which I, I'm not sure L.A. Lake. No, anyway, first time listener, and I just subscribed. Great overview of current events and news. I like that the hosts weigh in with their opinions as well. Great stuff. New listener. New yeah, listener. Cool. People are still discovering the show. That's fantastic. And then really great name here, Banana Slug Rock Liquor. <laughs> sure. I love that one. Yeah. Five stars. Greatest podcast show on earth. All right. Thank you for that. I've been listening every week for the past year, and I feel that my knowledge of the oil and gas industry has grown significantly from this podcast. I identify with host James Hahn absorbing the weekly teachings of host and industry guru <laughs> Mark LaCour. <laughs> awesome. So much of the latest news across the industry broken down and made easy to understand by just listening once a week. James Hahn Thank you for the onion headlines. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> oh, they're not going away. Absolutely nothing to do with oil and gas, but it is a tradition that must continue forever. <laughs> yeah. So even though I don't like the onion, uh, banana slug rock liquor, thank you for the, the great review. That was awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. And I got to give a shout out as well to everyone listening on an Android device. We're still waiting for Google Play to roll out their podcasts. We are published and live in there, but they still haven't pushed it out or given us any indication on when that's going to happen. But in the meantime, if you're on an Android or if you're listening to this on your desktop and you have an Android phone, you can download the Stitcher app, S-T-I-T-C-H-E-R. And we got to, it's a, it's, a, it's a bit, a couple months past, but we got to give a shout out to uh, and. Wait, Ann Drucker 06, five stars onto something big. Great podcast. I used to listen to a lot of sports radio and wished for an oil and gas podcast that was enjoyable that you could just sit back and listen to 
The guys have a great dynamic and remind me of the early days of Mike and Mike. <laughs> Aside from <laughs> that's awesome. Aside from being entertaining, the show is very informative and provides a great overview of the market. It's not as in-depth as say something from the economist but the host introduced the listener to some great resources and provide perspectives that would normally go unnoticed if not in an, a condensed and centralized medium that is a very very well written yeah, and, and you know james i may be wrong about this i think this is aaron drucker from cbi ah that that probably is true shout so out this is aaron Thank you so much for review. If this is not Aaron, still thank you for the <laughs> thank review. Thank you for the review. Yeah, that's that's fed. Good catch. Good catch. All right, we are rounding the corner. We have made it. There's going to be a lot of edits in this one, Mark, but we made it through. If you made it this far, the show, please share it with your friends, your family, all that stuff. You can go to tribrocket.com forward slash share li. That will go, take it straight to LinkedIn. Take you straight to LinkedIn to share the show forward slash. TW for Twitter, forward slash FB for Facebook. And Mark, I know you're ready to go. Yeah, folks, do great work. Pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Go find some grease, guys. I never get recognized, but you do all the time, don't you? It's it's actually gotten bad where where my wife keeps telling me, don't let it go to your head. You're not a, a movie star. But